Well, let's have our Bible reading. And our Bible reading is from Philippians and chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, Philippians chapter 2. Sunday mornings, we are taking the book of the epistle to the Philippians in enlarged sections, because uh, it's going to be a short series, because we want to get back into Romans as soon as possible. The verses we are looking at this morning are really encouraging verses. Philippians 2 from verse Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, this is God's word. Mark it in your Bibles, and we're going to come back to it after we've sung our next hymn. Well, let's open our Bibles up at Philippians chapter 2, and let's look at those verses uh, that we read just a moment or two ago. These, as I said, are most encouraging verses to us. Uh, let's start with verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's a lot of work going on in these two verses. There's in verse 12, a work out, and in verse 13, a work in. There's a working out and a working in. More specifically, we see that we are called to the work out, and God is the one who works in. So let's consider God's work in and our work out. First of all then, God's work in us. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God works in us. That's an, a most, most amazing set of words put together. God and us. And God not outside us up there somewhere that we can never know or never experience, but God and us. And God working in us, in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, in our inner being. The Christian is a person who has God at work in them. So there's no ordinary day for the Christian. Some days might seem ever so ordinary, but they're not. Because every day, God is at work in the Christian's life. Uh, we can, of course, uh, forget that God is working in us. Uh, sometimes we can forget that the heart, our heart, is always working, beating 
and pumping blood around our body for nutrients and oxygen to get to our organs to keep us alive. It's always going on night and day, day and night, boom, 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 boom. And we can, just, we can forget about it, but it's always at work. It's the same with, with God. God is always at work, always at work within our minds and hearts and souls. God is at work in us. And that's an amazing thing. And therefore, Christian, everything is hopeful for you. You're not a dead loss. You're not at a dead end. You're not on the scrap heap of life. It's not all over for you because God is at work in you always. And that is wonderful to behold. God is at work in us. How does God work in us? Well, the Greek word that's used here for work is the word we get, um, is we, we get our word energy from it. So God's energy is in us. And there are times when you think, I haven't got a lot of energy at all. <laughs> Physically tired, worn down by all kinds of different things. You don't particularly feel very energetic from time to time. But God's energy is always in your heart and soul. And God, that, that energy is the Holy Spirit. There's a wonderful prophecy in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, that says, the Spirit, God puts the Spirit in us to move us to follow his decrees and keep his laws. So God's energy, his energetic spirit is working in us to move us to do certain things. Because God works in us. So really, we should go around with a, a kind of a traffic sign upon us. And it's not danger, people at work. But it's wonder, God at work, by his spirit in our lives. So why does God work in us? What, what's, he, what's he up to in our lives? Well, the reason is in verse 13. To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God has a plan, and God's plan is to make us like Jesus Christ. Now, we saw this last year in our series on Romans, in Romans chapter 8, that uh, verse 29 tells us that God is conforming us to the image of his Son. So God is at work doing that in our lives, making us like Jesus. Uh, but that's not an instant thing. There is a progressive transformation going on in the life of a believer. You're not suddenly wake up one morning and think, oh, I'm like Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong progressive transformation. Theologians call this sanctification, the process of being sanctified. I prefer to, prefer to call it um, Christification, <laughs> being made like Christ. That's what God is doing. And what is Jesus like? Well, Galatians chapter 5. Jesus is full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Jesus. And those are the things that God is working in us constantly. He's transforming us into the image of his Son. Now, that starts the very day a person becomes a Christian. On that day, we are born again. 
On that day we are given a new heart. Again, the prophet Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So God begins a good work in us the day we become a Christian. He begins that work of Christification. Uh, and we're different. We're new people with new affections and new loves and new desires because God begins his work within us. Things are different now. I've been changed, it must be, since I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. Something happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love much more have come to stay. Things are different now. I've been changed, it must be, since I gave my heart to Jesus. And that's what happens. The day you give your heart to Christ is the day God works in you and he begins a good work. And he's relentless in a good way. He doesn't stop seeking to make you like Jesus. He carries that work on day by day, moment by moment, so that we really can every now and again use the excuse, please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. And it is true. We're still making mistakes. We still do silly, stupid things. But God hasn't finished with us yet. That's not going to be the story of eternity. In eternity, that's when the process terminates. Fully like Jesus on the day of his glory. So we are works in progress. And the work is God's in us. So that's the first thing. God at work in us. And just really be encouraged by that. The second thing is this, and it's a bit more challenging. So what about our working out? Our working out. So it says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God works in and we work out. And the only reason that we can work this out is because God is working in us. So there's this partnership. There's this mysterious combination that's going on in our Christian lives all the time. This partnership between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And that's going on in our lives all the time. God at work, us at work. And it's great that that is the case. Because if imagine if it was just called to us, be like Jesus. We think, no chance, mate. <laughs> no way I could be like Jesus by myself. So God is at work in us so that we can work out what God is working in. And we cannot become like Jesus unless God works in us. And we will not become like Jesus unless we work out what God is working in us. So we need to have a spiritual workout. We're all... Uh, aware of what a, a workout is. You go to the gym, you're working out to a particular end. Uh, you might want to lose weight, you might want to get fit, or you might just want to use the excuse of just toning. But, uh, but we, we work out to produce something. Uh, if you're doing a puzzle book, you're working out the puzzle. If you're doing uh, sums with your children, or whatever they call it these days, you're working out the answer. You're always working something out. 
It's always got a purpose. And the purpose of our spiritual workout is to make us like Christ. Now, how does that happen then? What are the spiritual disciplines that we need to employ in becoming like Jesus? Well, there's the usual ones, uh, the well-known ones. There's the restoring discipline that we need to have day by day, confession and repentance. There's the communication disciplines that we need to exercise, uh, prayer and Bible reading. There's the relationship disciplines we need to have where we need to seek to live at peace with all people as far as it depends on us. There's the staring at Jesus discipline as we fix our eyes on him to become like him. So all of those are well known and we, we cover them uh, every so often. But those are four really good spiritual disciplines. The restoring discipline, the communication discipline, the relationship discipline and the staring discipline. And, and we need to build them into our lives. But I, I want to just examine what the next few verses are telling us here in Philippians about spiritual disciplines, because I think we've got four that are here. And the first is this. Be serious about your Christian life. Be serious about your Christian life. Verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Following Jesus is not a joke. Following Jesus is the most serious thing anyone can ever do. We're entering into a relationship with the Son of God, whose Father, by His Spirit, is working in us. That's a really serious thing. And it's a huge thing as well. And therefore, fear and trembling are really quite appropriate. The trembling is that, what if I let God down? The fear is the respect of who God is. So with fear and trembling, we work out our salvation. But that doesn't mean to say that we are kind of miserable, jumpy Christians. No, because there's another verse later on in verse 18 that says that we do this with joy, that we rejoice. So somehow there's got to be this combination, as we're serious with God, this combination of fear, trembling, and joy. This is the discipline of being serious, and in that there's fear, trembling, and joy. How can those three things fit together? Well, think of, think of lightning, okay, thunder and lightning, and, and think of the power of lightning. You, it's... A, is somehow strangely attractive. You, you've got to look at lightning. You can't think there's lightning looking away. You, you, just, you, you look at it. You look at lightning. But you do so from the safety of behind the window in your house. And, and there's an element of excitement. Oh, lightning strike. And even the next morning, did you see the lightning display last night? There's, there's this strange kind of joy. Wow, a lightning strike. And I saw it. So there is that, but you're not going to mess around with the lightning. You're not going to go outside the house and say, lightning! You're not going to do that. There's a fear and a joy and a respect of the lightning. 
And God's divine lightning, God's divine power is so strong and so mighty and he is so huge and so wonderful that we can rejoice in him, but we dare not mess with him. That's the fear and trembling and rejoicing. So in our Christian life, we have the discipline of God. I'm serious about this. There's a second discipline. And it's this, live like a child of God. Live like a child of God. Verse 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, if the Apostle Paul said that his generation was warped and crooked, then we say exactly the same thing about our generation as well. There's some very weird things that go on in this world. Some very warped people and crooked people around. And that's the kind of generation we live in. And it's a generation as well which loves to argue and loves to grumble. People are always finding something to grumble about. And that, that might be a bit of a grumble of mine, but... <laughs> People are always grumbling, out, and they're always arguing. So some of the, the, the telly, the, the, the soaps, they, just, they, they thrive on the grumbling and the arguing. So I'm not, by the way, I'm not kind of really down on the soaps at all by that way. I'm just saying that they reflect life, grumbling and arguing. So the Apostle Paul tells us here, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now that is not an easy thing to do. For that we need to God to work in us so that we can work that out. But if we do everything without grumbling and arguing, then we stand apart from a crooked and warped generation who do grumble and argue ever such a lot. So... We practice the discipline of living like a child of God and refuse to grumble and argue. Arguing is different from discussion. Arguing is different from um, disagreement and trying to say, well, let, let's work this out. We've got to have this discussion together. But, but arguing is very different from that. Arguing really gets you nowhere. Discussion can get you to a lot of places. But do everything without grumbling and arguing. So third discipline. And that's the discipline of holding firmly to the word of life. Have a firm grip on the word of life. Verse 15. Then you will shine among them. That's the warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. The word of life is Jesus himself. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. It's Jesus. And it's Jesus' word as well, the Bible, the scriptures, this knowledge of salvation. So we are to hold firmly Onto Jesus. Hold firmly onto the truth as it is in Jesus revealed in the scriptures. We're not to be holding on to our own opinions because they can be wrong. We're not to be holding on to our own ideas, thoughts, and remedies 
but we are to hold firmly onto Jesus and his word, the living, revealed word. And we persevere in the Christian life, and we become more and more like Jesus as we hold firmly to the word of life. If we let it go, there's disaster. The, the hymn that we sung a little while ago, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it was, it was written by a man called Robert Robinson. And uh, during his teenage years, uh, he moved, he had a terrible upbringing, and so his, his mother moved him down to London to be an apprentice. Uh, and while he was there here in London, he fell in in his teenage years with a, a gang of lads which do what lads do do but shouldn't do. <laughs> so it was a misspent youth. Uh, he got into a, a lot of mischief, did Robert Robinson. One day, he decided to go along with this gang of lads. They got a, um, a gypsy lady drunk, and she told the fortune, and they were just laughing about that. Then they went along to hear the Methodist preacher, George Whitfield, preaching. And as George Whitfield was preaching, this gang of lads, led by Robert Robinson, he, he, they went there just to make fun of this out, outdoor preacher. Surprisingly, God spoke through Whitfield to Robert Robinson. And at the age of 20, Robert Robinson was converted to Christ. And his life completely changed. At the age of 22, he wrote that hymn that we just sung. But he knew his own heart. So he wrote in that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And uh, he, he felt the pull of that wild teenage years that he had. And he felt that his heart was prone to go back to it. Sadly, and very sadly, he did. He left the God he loved. He changed in belief and behavior. And then one day, some 30 years later, he was in a stagecoach. And in this stagecoach was a, a very pretty lady. And Robinson was eyeing her up. But she was humming a tune. And she had a hymn book in her hand. And she started singing some of the words of this hymn. And she turned to Robert Robinson and said, she didn't know him at all, and she said, do you, know about, do you know that hymn? And these are the words of Robert Robinson. He burst into tears. He said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who composed that hymn many years ago. I would give a thousand world, worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings that I had then. And God used that incident to bring him back to the God he loved. But he spent years having let go of the word of life. He didn't hold on to it, which plunged him into misery upon misery. If we want to become like Jesus, hold firmly to the word of life. Because I've got a heart that is prone to wander, and you have as well. Each one of us prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for the heaven above. Hold firmly to the word of life. Final discipline that's mentioned here is this. If we want to be like Jesus, to work out what God is working in us, be serious about it. 
live as a child of God, have a firm grip, and fourthly, be prepared for sacrifice. Be prepared for sacrifice. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. This verse might seem a little confusing. The, the idea of a drink offering, uh, it's one of the prescribed offerings in the Levitical law from the book of Levit Leviticus in the Old Testament. So all kinds of offerings, as the sin offering, the burnt offering, the transgression offering, all kinds of offerings are prescribed. And one of them is the drink offering. And the thing about the drink offering is that it was never offered by itself. It was always offered either on top of another offering or alongside that offering. So the wine was poured out, denied to self, poured out for God. So the drink offering represented pouring something out on another offering. Now Paul says here, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. So these Philippians... They were, they were zealous Christians, uh, and they were serving the Lord, and they were making many sacrifices for the Lord, but they still had their problems, and they still had their issues. They still had their woes and their sadness and their sorrows, and the Apostle Paul was looking upon himself as someone that was trying to help them. And as he was trying to help them in, in their sacrifice and their service for the Lord, he was pouring his life out into their life. He was weeping with them. He was rejoicing with them. He was walking with them. He was suffering with them. He was like a drink offering being poured out onto and into the lives of other Christians. And that's part of being Christ-like, pouring our life out into another person's life. Uh, parents know exactly what's that like but with children. You pour your life out into them. And then years later, it sometimes has to be reversed. And the children pour their life out into their parents. And we do it with one another as the children of God. We're all children. And we pour our lives out into other people's lives. And that costs. That is not an easy thing to do. It costs to have your life poured away to helping someone else through their suffering and trial, through their tragedy, through their woe, through their sadness, that you come alongside them as a Christian, being Christ-like, and you pour your life into their life. That costs you energy, time, and sometimes lots of money. It's a sacrifice. But this is one of the disciplines of becoming like Jesus, giving ourselves away. Well, these are four disciplines that can help us understand what it means to work out our salvation. And in those four disciplines, we've got to look to Christ himself who practiced all four of those disciplines. Jesus was serious about doing the will of God. Jesus did everything without grumbling and arguing. Jesus held firmly to the Father's way and truth. And indeed, the whole of Jesus' life was like a drink offering. The whole of our Savior's life was a life being poured out into the lives of others, healing people, 
pouring himself out with his wisdom and counseling, walking with people, weeping with people, helping people day by day, serving relentlessly, giving himself to others until eventually on the last day, he poured out his very life unto death to rescue us from our sin. This is our Savior, and this is what God is working in us. So our responsibility is to work out what God is working in. But we can do it because of the energy of God that is within us. With every breath, let us seek to follow Jesus. Let's be quiet before the Lord for a moment. Lord, if we have ears to hear your word, there is something that you have been speaking to us about this morning. And we pray that you would help us to recognize what it is. It might be more than one or two things. And yet, Lord, we pray that we would understand the wonder that you are at work in our lives every day. And help us then, we pray, to respond with obedience and love to you and to work out Christ-likeness because you are working Christ-likeness in us. Help us to help one another in this, we pray. And above all, we pray for your power and your energy and your strength. Help us, O Lord, we pray, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and with joy, knowing that as we work that out and practice these spiritual disciplines, that yet it is not I, but Christ in me. You are at work in our lives. So we thank you. We thank you that one day the race will be complete and we will appear in glory, transformed ultimately to be like the Son of God. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.